This is the first in a series of scented ghost stories with James Craven. James, who is the perfume archivist at specialist perfumery Les Santeurs, has some known and some less well-known stories that he's put with scents, some known and some less well-known, and you're encouraged to smell along at home. There's a list of smells and where to find them on the website. We're going to move slightly back in time to the 19th century. In the 19th century, there was a real mania for uncovering the dead. Specifically, mummy unravelling parties were all the rage in London. Before they became important artefacts to be protected and respected, the rich would buy them, get them on a table, have a party, a stiff drink. Somebody would unwrap the mummy, and then they would all marvel at it. Perhaps there was a medical student waving the arms around. I don't know how many mummies we lost, but it must have been substantial. In unravelling, unwrapping, reawakening the dead and bringing them back into animated life. The scent we have for this story evokes dust, remnants of spice and incense, decayed bodies. It's suffocating. It's Oud Velvet Mood by Francis Curgion. Anyone else getting a little sort of furring up of the throat like a mummy's hand has gone down there? This is one of the panoply of Oud scents that is sweeping the West at the moment. I mean, one of the, one of the great natural oils of the East, of Asia, where it's been revered and used for thousands of years. Oud will, will rouse the dead, will wake the dead. And Oud in itself has got this wonderful symbolism in that its creation comes directly from death and decay. That Oud comes from the agar tree, the best hunting ground is Indochina and India. Great huge trees, they live to be hundreds of years old. They become rather like our elms with the Dutch elm disease and with the ashes now. They become infected with a parasite which infallibly kills the tree. The tree takes decades, again, maybe more centuries to die. It dies very, very slowly. As it dies, in its death agonies, it throws out this protective resin to try and seal its, its, uh, its wood, its flesh, from the ravages of the parasite. And it's this combined resin that makes this extraordinary smell, which you could say very dusty, very suffocating, earthy, sooty, old, old sweets, all stuck to the bag. There was this irreverent mania for mummy parties, which followed because the stock of mummies had already been depleted since the Middle Ages, because the desecrated flesh had been ground up for use by alchemists as an infallible cure for all sorts of illnesses. Mummy powder. Mummy comes from the old Arab word for bitumen, in which the corpses had been wrapped after they had been dried. Mummy powder was something between a patent remedy and a spell for centuries. Then we have the Victorian mania, and then 1922-1923 is the Tutankhamun discovery and rage for when Egyptology came into fashion 
as well as into jewellery and clothes. It's at that point that you start hearing about the curse of the mummies, the curse of the tombs. Egyptologists are now starting to think that these stories may not have been started, but were certainly popularised by Egyptologists, by Egyptian curators to try and stop this terrible depredation, to deliberately frighten people about interfering with the dead. This reading is from a short story, Lot 249, which is how this king of Egypt has ended up, brought in a sale, brought by a necromancer, a student at Oxford, who takes it to his room, and with the help of spells from the Book of the Dead brings it to hideous life. Listen to the way Arthur Conan Doyle describes the room, and the smell. It was such a chamber as he had never seen before, a museum rather than a study. Walls were thickly covered with a thousand strange relics from Egypt and the East. Tall angular figures bearing burdens or weapons stalked in an uncouth frieze around the apartments. Above were bull-headed, stork-headed, cat-headed, owl-headed statues with viper-crowned, almond-eyed monarchs and strange beetle deities cut out of blue Egyptian lapis lazuli. Horus and Isis and Osiris peered down from every niche and shelf, while across the ceiling a true son of old Nile, a great hanging-jawed crocodile, was slung in a double noose. The mummy itself, a horrid black withered thing, like a charred head on a gnarled bush, was lying half out of its case, with its claw-like hand and bony forearm resting upon a table. With its bent joints and craned head, there was a suggestion of energy about it, a suggestion of energy about the horrid thing which made Smith's gorge rise. The gaunt ribs with their parchment-like covering were all exposed, and the sunken, leaden-hued abdomen with a long slit where the Obama had left his mark. But the lower limbs were wrapped around with coarse yellow bandages and a number of little clove-like pieces of myrrh and of cassia were sprinkled over the body and lay scattered on the inside of the case. Balsamic resin, said Bellingham. He lifted up one of the dried palmet leaves from the table and frizzled it over the chimney of the lamp. It broke away into heavy smoke wreaths and a pungent biting odour filled the chamber. It's the sacred plant, the plant of the priests, he remarked. Do you know anything of Eastern languages, old boy? That was James Craven, perfume archivist at Les Sonteurs, reading from Arthur Conan Doyle's Lot 249. 